If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. This is the official Colts podcast, giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. Gets off the Taylor. He's in. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. Fires that way. Picked off. Darius Leonard at the five-yard line. Plants in the pocket. The Colts bring it down. A sack for Indianapolis. Steps up in the end zone. He throws. Michael Pittman. Touchdown. Let's get the podcast started. What's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of the official Colts podcast presented by WinBet. I'm JJ Stankovitz. Matt Taylor's here. Lara Overton's here. We are talking position battles on this podcast. Training camp starts in a month, guys. How about that? Nuts. It is nuts how fast this is going. Where did the summer go? Has it even started? It's not gone yet. I mean, we just had the summer solstice. We're a week into summer. True summer. Well, we got a month until our summer becomes training camp. That's still summer, though. To me, summer lasts until Labor Day. Because in the NFL, it's it's a wonderful way that the schedule falls in that, yeah, you have that kind of crazy, hectic month from training camp beginning at the end of July, running through late August with the preseason. But then you get Labor Day weekend. So you get this like wonderful finale to summer and also that you get to conclude the training camp preseason period and get all excited for the start of the regular season. By the way, thank you to whoever at the NFL decided to get cut down day off of Labor Day weekend. It's a good move. <laughs> really good move. The Saturday of Labor Day weekend used to be like one of it the was. busiest days of the year. Yeah. And then the Sunday was practice squad. It's like the equivalent it's like the equivalent of tax day for accountants, but in the NFL. Like yeah. that's how it would have it was for all of us who work in the league. I learned that lesson in two thousand eighteen when I went Pops, to Pops Taylor except, would agree with that, except, right? Yeah, he would. Except accountants probably aren't trying to drink on a boat on a uh, on tax yes. day. <laughs> there we go. You know what I'm so, saying? They, they would if they could. Two thousand eighteen uh, went to yeah, the in laws April fifteenth on a Wednesday is a little bit different. A little bit different. Go went ahead. to the in laws family's lake house uh, on Lake Tippy Canoe where it used to be in Indiana and uh, Saturday morning I wake up wait is it not in Indiana anymore the lake house is in Indiana okay but they no longer have the lake house anyways oh okay Okay. I'm sorry I thought you meant Lake Tippecanoe used to be in Indiana yeah they moved the lake to uh, to Ohio uh, Chase I know you haven't been a resident of the Hoosier state very long but I don't are you guys are you guys don't move after after this we'll do the uh, Indiana history the battle of Tippecanoe you know, That'll be the Indiana history lesson after the perfect. podcast. Yeah. Perfect. So, anyways, I learned the lesson the hard way that Labor Day weekend is not a weekend to go be out on a boat because I woke up to the Bears trading for Khalil Mack and oh. then had to work all day yeah, sign while everyone else off. went out on the boat. Was that a big deal? Yeah, that, you know. Kind of a big deal. Mm. Um, fortunately, we don't have to worry about that anymore. As I say that, that probably means the Colts are going to make some big trade on Labor Day weekend. I would actually like it if the NFL moved, if the schedule shifted from – if the season started like in October and ended in March, I would be on board with that. Play all those games in the winter time. Play them in domes. That way, you have more of a summer. That way, you have more chance to spend your summertime with friends and family. Be outside, do vacations, enjoy the I, weather. I like it. I like how it sets up here in Indiana, though, where schools go back right around when training camp starts. Yeah, schools go back early here in Indianapolis, like Very August, early. the first week yeah, of August calendar. training camps. Yeah, the last week of July. So it were. I think that works out great. Where for me means I get like a full month with the family before school starts. I just don't like sometimes the the most meaningful games are played in the worst weather. Like if Kansas I, Kansas City's good every year and, and the AFC championship game has the chance to be played in a blizzard and negative ten degrees. 
Like that's just not good it's in my football. opinion. Thank you, Lara. I understand. It's football. That. It's, yeah. But what, but when you want Vince that game Lombardi to be played, you're complaining about the conditions. Like, come on. I understand. It's it's nostalgic, but I mean, let's let's play these games. Like that's why the Super Bowl every year is played in perfect climate because they don't want the weather to impact and or I play think the Super a part Bowl of be the in biggest. I'd, I'd be fine if, if the, the season the Colts, started okay, in October per, per, and you play these playoff games in domes. Perfect weather. I mean, the Colts won the Super Bowl in a rainstorm against the Bears. It was not perfect weather in Miami that day. I think that's the only Super Bowl where there was weather. Uh, there was a blackout in Dallas. Can we count that? <laughs> <laughs> that was inclement conditions. Well, there was literally a blackout <laughs> I mean, at the Superdome. There, there's all the sorts of things. The there's all sorts of things that can happen. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I like getting into some January football when stuff gets a little crazy. Things get a little hairy. It builds toughness. There's yeah. no question about that. But I'm Put saying if you're the league, your chest. yeah, let's let's play these let's games go. in Miami or in, in domes and have it be 75 and I perfect. Think no you wind. You spent too much time in Florida on your anniversary trip, <laughs> and now you are thin-skinned, Matt Taylor. Dude, I will tell you, just seriously, I feel not so far removed from that day last season in Miami, week three when we were – oh, no, week four, I'm sorry, right, when we were down there. It was so hot. It was that hot. Day. It was smoking hot. Oh my gosh, my yep. my shoulders. It was late late September, early October. Were so sunburned <laughs> down there. Because you're on the visitor sideline, and there's no shade on the visitor sideline oh, in Miami. None. You are. That's like baking. a low key advantage the Dolphins. Have. You are baking, and also the fans are right there on the field, and uh, they hit it hard early in Miami. So yeah, <laughs> they were raucous. I mean, they were enjoying. It's actually themselves. probably late for Miami because they just started at like. Or they you know, just never quit from the night before. Quit. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, we're going to talk a little bit about some position battles we're looking forward to in training camp on this episode. We also have a sit-down interview with NFL Senior Vice President of Player Operations, Tracy Perlman, a really interesting conversation about the league's annual broadcasting media boot camp. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're going to talk a little bit about that with her. We've got our mailbag. We've got Mayte's Random Thought of the Week up on this podcast. But let's start talking about some position battles. Um we're going to do the offense this week. Next week, we are going to be off for the four, the week of the 4th of July. Week after it, we are going to talk about some defensive position battles. So we got three that we're looking at here, just kind of baseline what we're starting with. Real good battle at left tackle. Should be some strong competition there. Wide receivers, lot of good competition for some open spots at wide receiver. And then running back behind Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines, a very crowded group there. With a lot of talent, a lot of guys who have had success in the NFL, undrafted free agents. So let's start at left tackle, though. Mate, you got Matt Pryor, the veteran there, even though he's kind of bounced around the O-line in his career. Mm -hmm. Bernard Ryman, the third-round pick. You also have Dennis Kelly, the veteran there, as well as Jason Spriggs. So a couple veterans. You got who we haven't seen Dennis Kelly yet. He didn't participate, and he was around. He was on hand, so we know very little, really. Right. About where he is. That's just kind of one right. like, caveat to that. Yeah, conversation. Dennis Kelly was Important. not really participating during the offseason program. He was out there. He was involved. Yeah. He's been in meetings, but yeah. hasn't necessarily been like fist in the dirt yeah. type. You of got you got a yet. couple other guys, I like that. Um, some undrafted free agents like Ryan Van Demark. Uh, Brandon Kemp was a former undrafted free agent in that mix as well. But Mate, I think we're we're going to focus on Pryor and Ryman mm-hmm. here. Um, where do you see? the edge in that battle when training camp starts between those two players? I think you got to go to Pryor. But I, I do think it's interesting, no matter how you look at this, because you've got Pryor, 
He started only two games in his professional or college career at left tackle, including a game last year. But the Colts are really high on him. They they really feel comfortable in his ability to play that spot. They brought him back early on in free agency. Um, he's been focused on playing left tackle the entire offseason. You know, when he spoke during the offseason workout program, he talked about trimming some weight, working on his footwork. So he's really dedicated to manning that spot. Then you've got Ryman, who we know his story. He's a rookie, obviously learning the, the NFL game all at the same time. But the Colts are really high on him, too. They, they drafted him the third round for a reason. He was one of those guys that was a contender, if you will, to be taken at 42 in the third or the second round when the Colts were initially on the clock before they traded back. Started his career as a tight end, made this switch to tackle at Central Michigan after coming over from Austria as a foreign exchange student. Really, really great story. J.J., you wrote that great profile on him. So they think they've got two guys that can play that spot. Ryman's obviously going to go through the natural you know, rookie progression, so I do think it's Pryor who has the leg up because he just has overall experience, NFL experience on Ryman, but the Colts are going to rotate both of those guys with the first-team offense throughout the start of camp. We all know Chris Ballard and how this operation works. I mean, the best players are going to play no matter where you came from, no matter how much money you're making, no matter how you were acquired, so on and so forth. Blair, it's it's hard to learn about rookies during the offseason program because, I mean, like, especially offensive linemen, like, they're not doing a lot of the things that are going to determine what, like, the one-on-one drills, you right. know. Right. You're we not doing a lot of the matchup stuff. Yeah, exactly. But just from And you're not sense, in pads. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. right. But from the sense of knowing this team and kind of you know piggybacking off of what Mete said about the, how the best players are going to play, is there an opportunity for Ryman to really push prior throughout camp? And, and what does that sort of look like? Does that look like by the second preseason game, Ryman's taking snaps with the first-team offense? Or can it be it, – does there need to be like a cutoff essentially for when the Colts need to get a starting five together on the line? I think that they're going to go in with a plan, and that plan is going to have plenty of opportunity to to move. It'll be malleable. You know, you're not going to be locked into exactly how it's going to be. I do think that there's a strong possibility that you do see Bernard Ryman, Bernard Ryman challenging Matt Pryor over the course of camp. But I think it's going to really come down to the preseason games and what is shown in those types of situations because we've seen a lot of rotation throughout the course of training camp with those guys up front working different guys in giving guys different opportunity especially because in camp and in preseason your offensive line is often working with different quarterback combinations too you're not just going to be working with Matt Ryan you're gonna have Nick Foles in there you're gonna have Sam Ellinger in there as well so in those assortments of combinations I think that If Bernard Ryman has a really steady training camp and then continues to impress over the course of the preseason, which everything we know about him lends itself to think that he's going to do that because of the work ethic that there is, the background that he has, what he has done thus far, I do still think part of it is don't we forget that he's kind of still learning offensive line. He's still learning the tackle position. He started playing football as a tight end. So there's a lot of evolution for him and a lot of growth. And I can't think of any better people to be surrounded by than when you think of Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, Matt Ryan, Matt Pryor also to help coach up the young tackle. So I think that the leg up goes to Matt Pryor to likely start 
this season because of the experience factor and because the Colts have, you know, a bit of that, you know, monkey on their back of sluggish starts to the season. And you need to position yourself as best as possible to kind of have your experienced veteran guys starting out the season for you, laying the groundwork, setting the tone for what you want to do. But I do think that there's a great possibility that when you get in there, that week three, week four situation, that's going to be an opportunity when you see a little bit of, see a bit of some rotation in that aspect and wanting to keep those guys up front you know it's it is certainly a luxury if you have guys who can both play at a starting level on your offensive line with the way the league has gone at stacking defensive lines and the pressures you're going to face Mm -hmm. up front on the edge I mean the loser of this battle is probably your swing tackle yeah you know going to be your backup left tackle or the backup right tackle well that that's interesting mate too because Ryman hasn't played right tackle Ryman's and like Lara said, he he's still relatively new to the position, having converted from tight end in college. Sure. So I think that's probably why you have Jason Spriggs and Dennis Kelly on your roster in the event that Matt Pryor wins the job, then Ryman Ryman's probably not your swing guy. One of those two veterans and Spriggs or Kelly probably becomes your swing guy. Perhaps. Perhaps. I I I do think that he could play. I mean, just as we saw during minicamp, you know, Ryan Kelly's playing right guard just because of cross training. So I, I think that he probably could. You know, there is there's credence to the fact that you bring in those guys because, you know, Spriggs has played guard and tackle. Like you said, Dennis Kelly has predominantly been a right tackle. You know, that, that savvy veteran that the offensive line is is missing, right, without Mark Lewinsky and, and Eric Fisher no longer being here. So I, I do think there's credence to that. But as we saw last year, I had these written down last week when Jeffrey and I were doing the offensive line uh, burning questions, but what was it, 10 different offensive line starting combinations last year? Mm -hmm. Nine guys started at least three games. So it's going to be tested. That's one of those positions where it's just a matter of when, not if. You know, attrition always plays a part on the offensive line. So you need guys that need to be able to play, you know, multiple positions, different sides of the offensive line because inevitably you're going to be in a pinch like the Colts were last year, you know, late in the season when, you know, they they had to have Quentin Nelson play two or three snaps at left tackle. They Mm -hmm. had to have Matt Pryor play left tackle against the Raiders. So it's going to come up. It's not so bad, though, if your backup plan is Quentin Nelson popping over to left tackle. But you you need to be prepared. So I I think Ryman, they drafted him where they did for a reason because he has – you know, just a ton of upside no matter where they play him along that offensive line. The the one thing that I – like just talking about this, and I'm like, man, my favorite thing to watch in training camp is the one-on-one O-line versus D-line. When I want to see out of Ryman, that'll tell us where uh, he will be. You think Gakway over there? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. I'm, I, thi- I, I'm thinking I'm – because, yeah. I mean, look, Bernard Ryman is going to get beat in those drills. That's It's going to happen. How does he self-correct? How does he self-correct when Yannick Ngakwe hits him with that cross chop for the first time? Does he does he continue to then lose those reps, or does he, after losing one, then he goes and wins the next one? I think those are the things you look for out of a rookie when it comes to those one-on-one battles. I mean, let's not forget, I mean, it's not just Yannick Ngakwe. Quiddy Pay, yeah, pretty good pass rusher up and coming there. Daiwa Dengbo, a guy who's going to play with a lot of power on him. Those are going to be really, really telling, those reps. Well, and this is one of the reasons that in the conversations that you have in the war room prior to the draft, when you're talking to the scouts and Chris is up there and Dodds is up there in front of the room, one of the questions that a lot of these debates comes down to is, 
does he love football? And Bernard yep. Ryman is a dude that loves football. Mm-hmm. So in those situations, he's always looking to, to study, always looking to get better, always looking to hone his craft, always looking to find a new skill set or something to build on to what he's capable of doing. So I think that he is one of those who loves the challenge that's ahead of him because yep. it's going to provide him an opportunity to learn. Keep in mind, he also has a guy to learn from like Kevin Mawai mm-hmm. in that room of, of the offensive line as well. Yeah, pretty good resource. In, uh, in Kevin Wai there. Let's talk about the wide receiver room a little bit. I, you know, you look at the depth chart here, and obviously you've got Michael Pittman Jr., your 1,000-yard guy. You've got Alec Pierce, your second-round pick. Um, you know, and then kind of beyond that, I, you know, you probably think Paris Campbell and Ashton Doolin have spots on this team. Um, you know, Paris, based on his upside that is still there, uh, even though he's gone through some terrible injury luck, Ashton Doolin, for him being – a second-team All-Pro special teamer last year. I think he should have been a first-teamer, but we don't need to go down that rabbit path and relitigate who should have been a first-team special team All-Pro last year. Um, but beyond that, you know, you got a really good, talented group of guys competing for probably one or two spots, you would figure. Kiki QT, DeMichael Harris, Desmond Patman, Mike Strawn, all guys who are back on this team. Then some undrafted free agents, Kakoa Crawford, Ethan Frenia, Samson Nakua, and Joseph Adai's nephew, Michael Young Jr., in that mix as well. So, you know, there's been a lot of discourse about the Colts wide receiver room. Do they need to add anything more? But you look at this competition, and you think about who's going to be on the roster. It's not like there are four open spots for wide receivers here. There are probably two, two to three um, in that range. So... Where do you start kind of handicapping this? Who who are the guys you're looking for to stand out from that group who have a shot at making the team? And then what are some of the traits that you're going to be looking for out of those players? So that could be special teams. That could be them being able to do one specific thing for the offense. Mete, we'll start with you on that. Yeah, great question. Um, this you is, wrote it, so this thank is you. really good. No, I mean it's to me. It's to me. There's eight guys competing for two spots and. I've got two groups of the eight. The first group is Strawn, DeMichael Harris, Patman, Kiki Cutie. These are all guys that have played you know, a handful of snaps, handful of games with the Colts or elsewhere in the league, as is the case with Kiki Cutie. So I think two guys from that group probably wind up making the team if you're going to divide the group. You've got two smaller subsets. You've got the bigger guys, and then you've got the smaller slot speed guys. You've got Patman. And Strawn, Patman 6'4", Strawn 6'5". Both guys basically had a redshirt year their rookie seasons. I think Patman's played 66 total snaps. Strawn's played 62 total snaps. And really was, you know, a guy that was experienced that redshirt season after about week two last year. So I think it's a battle between those two because of skill set. And then I think it's a battle between the smaller, faster guys in terms of skill set. You got QT and Harris. QT runs a 4-4-3. Harris runs a 4-3-7. Two guys out of that group make it. And then it's a battle between Strawn, Patman, and a battle between QT and Harris. But at the end of the day, as we all know, as I just said and reiterated, the Colts are going to play best players. Doesn't matter how tall, how fast. If you get open, if you have the intangibles, if you compliment Matt Ryan in this in this offense, doesn't matter. And then the other bucket consists of the undrafted young guys: Samson Nakua, Crawford, Ethan Fernia, Michael Young. So, long story short, I got two buckets 
one of the young guys, the other guys that are fairly young that have dipped their toes in the water, and then you've got the tall guys and then speed guys. Lara, do you see it differently? I completely agree with you. I kind of had it broken up, too. Just on really, I was just looking at the veteran guys and those two subsets that you referenced. I kind of coupled to Michael Harris and Kiki Kuti mm-hmm. together and then Dez and, and Michael Strawn right. together. Same body type. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Six, and four, so six, th- five, the utilization yeah. of them is similar. And the one thing that Frank Reich referred to a lot last year was that, you know, Strawn wasn't really a contributor on special teams. And that was why he mm-hmm. was a healthy scratch, as as Mayte refers to it, in, a, in several different situations. Uh, Patman really, I think, ascended himself on the radar based on his performance in that uh, Arizona game. Of course, he had that incredible touchdown grab there. Um, and that's not to say because both both guys have made plays. That's right. not to say that Patman no. and Strawn are the right. two guys that uh, fell I, out I, the I totally agree. Into the roster. Here's what's intriguing to me: going back to some of what we saw in offseason workouts and minicamp, I saw Kiki QT working on some return situations that's going to be that's going to be a key factor to watch in training campus who's getting those reps on return one thing to watch for that is intriguing to me is for all the conversations that we've heard about the utilization of Naheem Hines within this offense and the role they envisioned for him DeMichael Harris is a converted running back to wide receiver do you look at DeMichael Harris as being a guy who can kind of step into that Naheem-type complementary role within the offense and you have some of that utilization, you have that variety that if Naheem's off the field or maybe, you know, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen, but if Naheem sustains some sort of injury, is he a type of guy who you could plug into what you envision to that Naheem role when he's, you know, he's a running back, he's also doing pass catching. Can you utilize DeMichael in similar types Type of play calls, even if Naheem's not off the field or not on the field mm-hmm. for whatever reason that might be. So I think that's one thing that just looking to, and I'd studied a lot of DeMichael's background through Jamie Moore, who was the scout who worked on him coming out of Southern Miss, talked a lot about, you know, where uh, he his talent lies and how he has uh, grown within football. So that's something that's really intriguing to me. I think that you have a lot of possibilities with DeMichael Harris. They love his character. He's a guy who has continued to impress when he's been in the building. So he's one who I think just watching how they use him in training camp is going to be intriguing. But, mm-hmm. man, I hate it. Because it seems like every year, this is the group that we talk about, right? This is this seems to be the toughest cuts are made in the wide receiver room. And I'm also, I, I think when we get into the thick of things, it's going to be interesting to learn how much say Reggie Wayne has in, in yeah. some of these calls. I mean, ultimately, it's going to come down to Chris Ballard and, and Frank Reich, obviously, will be in those conversations. But, you know, what is the feedback that Reggie is giving? What are Because he's grading the guys. He's grading them in every practice and, and every game. Who so better to tell you that this guy gets it than Reggie Wayne? It's going to be interesting. I, yeah. I, that's a great point, by the way, on to Michael Harris. I did not consider that. But if you're if you're building this role in your offense – and you are installing it for Naheem Hines, it would make sense that you would have someone else who could do it who would be DeMichael Harris. So yeah. That's a really It's like playing really with six running backs or yeah. seven or eight wide receivers because those guys can do both. Because right. at first it's like, can you can you kind of fool some people? Can you put some people back in their heels if Naheem's not on the field and they don't think that you're, you know, they think you're using, they, they're not going to expect you to use him necessarily those first few times yeah. in that role. And DeMichael Harris, special by the way. Special teams too, yeah. DeMichael yeah. Harris in college, I 2019, his last year at Southern Miss, 
113 rushing attempts for 541 yards. It's almost five yards per carry. 34 receptions for 346 yards, 10.2 yards per catch, three touchdowns. Uh, by the way, Mississippi State champ, track guy, 100, track guy. 200, 400. Track guy. We need we need like a track guy air horn or something. I know. I oh, do. Okay, Some right. sort of a signal. Yeah. I go. love it. There you go. Mete did it. All right, let's move on to the last group here, the running back room behind Jonathan Taylor and the aforementioned Naheem Hines. This one's really interesting because the Colts this offseason added Philip Lindsay and Tyson Williams in free agency. They added Devonta Price and C.J. Verdell as undrafted free agents. Deion Jackson is back as part of that room as well, an undrafted free agent last year. This one, this one's interesting. See, I think it's the least interesting. I, so I want to know. To me, uh, yeah, I don't know. To me, it's interesting because last year the Colts carried four running backs primarily throughout the season. JT, Naheem, Marlon Mack, and then Deion Jackson got on the roster during right. the season. Is there a need for a Marlon Mack type on this roster where Marlon last year really was not used a whole lot because the Colts didn't really need him when you have Jonathan Taylor. I think that was team. an exceptional situation because of Marlon and coming back from the injury and, and who he is and right. how he is regarded and respected and appreciated within this organization. Right. I Mar- don't Marlin- think that that's going to be a template likely that you see moving forward. Mayte, what do you think? I'm going to say yes. You do? Because you do need that insurance package because Jonathan Taylor takes what is that word that he uses? He does pre- prehab. Prehab. Yeah. What twenty-two-year-old talks like that? By the way, I mean he's so a guy who could have gone to the Ivy League, right. a guy who could I mean, have played at Harvard, mature, yeah. wise, intelligent. Uh, uh, also, a new SB nominee, two-time SB nominee, For Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor? Taylor. Yeah, a uh, breakout star and favorite NFL player. So yeah. we'll be able to see him uh, out well, in LA on Hollywood. Count those two things. He's he's taking home that hardware in you those think? categories. Uh, so he's up against some competition. Really quick. I'm sorry, I've totally like taken this on a different no, route. No, no, but no, no. This, this is, good. is breaking news as of today. Just com- a couple hours ago so he is up against for favorite or NFL player of the year I guess NFL player of the year he's against Cooper Cup TJ Watt and Aaron Rodgers so that's that's a that's a how, tough group how about for that sure. by the way you got the offensive player of the year the defensive player of the year and the MVP and Jonathan Taylor yeah it's it's incredible and then for best breakthrough athlete you have Trinity Rodman from the Washington Spirit daughter of of Dennis Rodman, <laughs> who is an emerging soccer standout. Trinity Rodman I mean, is awesome. She's awesome. Um, and then Eileen Goo, skier. Ja Morant from the Memphis Grizzlies. He's certainly going to get a whole lot of attention, rightfully so, in that category. But I really think that Jonathan Taylor, that's a very, he makes a very strong case Jonathan for breakthrough Taylor athlete. led the NFL in rushing yards yeah. by like 550. Like, and he's so gosh darn likable, too. I know. Too. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, like all those other, mm-hmm. like John Morant, super likable, Trinity Rodman, super yeah. likable, Eileen, like, but okay, so I, I wrote an article on Colts.com just writing, you know, through the SP nominations. Just to, this is fun. This is totally off topic. But the thing, the awards that Jonathan Taylor got last year, unanimous first team AP All-Pro, uh, Pro Football Writers Association first team All-Pro, Pro Football Focus, First Team All-Pro, the Sporting News, First Team All-Pro. He was a Pro Bowler, Sporting News Offensive Player of the Year. He won the Burt Bell Award for Best NFL Player. He was the October and November AFC Offensive Player of the Month and the Week 11 AFC Offensive Player of the Week. Yeah. That's incredible. It's a big year. And I hope Jonathan Taylor adds a couple more honors to that list. Well, he will. Anyways. He will. Mate, to your point, though, about trending, you, know, you need say. that you need that insurance policy. You know, 
JT, JT, uh, there's no reason to think JT can't handle the workload again. Um, no. But does that mean? No, that- it's it's yeah. No, it's not about Taylor at all. No, it's not about Taylor not being able to handle the workload. It's about it's about should he sustain an injury? Philip Lindsay has had a tremendous amount of success in the NFL not that long ago, and he's potentially looking for this stop this opportunity to sort of jumpstart his career again. Just like Marlon Mack last year was a tremendous insurance package for Jonathan Taylor. Had something had happened to Taylor last year, Marlon Mack was a 1,000-yard guy, just like Philip Lindsay is. And he was in some crummy situations last year. He was yeah. with the Texans. They stunk at running the football. Same thing with Miami after yeah. he was released two, by Houston. pretty rough offensive lines they, they were not good. And also, too, something that I did not realize when, when looking up Philip Lindsay for this conversation, Chris Strasser was the offensive line coach in Denver those two mm-hmm. years when he went over 1,000 yards. It's all about insurance policy in this running game behind Jonathan Taylor should something happen to, in my opinion, the best running back in the game. Yeah, and the the question then becomes, can you get that out of Deion Jackson while getting special teams? Can you yes. get that out of Tyson yeah. Williams while getting special teams? But probably not Philip Lindsay, though. Deion yeah, Jackson, not a special Deion Jackson is a warrior. Like, that man is a beast. Yeah. When you watch him go through some of the running back drills, and also Scotty Montgomery, and I will say this if he's sitting here, he is insane. That man, I mean, I know we say maniac about Darius Leonard a lot. Like, Scotty Montgomery is like a running back drill maniac. The stuff that he puts those guys through is some of the most fun things to watch. You know, when they're, they're you know, uh, doing a lot of vertical type of things, doing a lot of lateral drills, different things. And he's tossing medicine balls at him and all sorts of crazy stuff. It's so much fun to watch. And, like, Deion Jackson is an absolute like bowling ball good, in some man. situations. Like he will break through tackles. He will power through. Uh, t- yeah, power. I mean, he's he's outstanding. Like and and you saw some of that on display in that route of the Houston Texans down in Houston that shutout victory that the Colts had last season. You know, he finally got at that point late in the game. Finally got some reps up there, and he started to get going and started to find his stride and started yeah. to get humming. Yeah. And you saw some of the potential that is there with Deion Jackson yeah that guy he's a force like given in the right situations and some opportunities he can certainly be a force within this running back well, and, and you, you have some turnover on special teams you know with Matt Adams and George Odom yeah leaving really in point. free agency so there will be some openings for guys to take on more of a load in special teams that is something you're going to need to keep an eye on throughout training camp is you, you can't just kind of pencil in mm-hmm. the same four guys as your special team sure. is you're going to need to add a couple of guys and, into that role. And that's where, you know, a guy like Des Patman, who has played in some special team mm-hmm. situations, mm-hmm. how advantageous right. is that for him, yep. being that we know that right. that's going to be one of those critical factors when you start to look at those final few spots, yeah. how that comes into play. I know we're getting, well, at least I am, I'm getting way, way, way ahead of ourselves here, but just hypothetically, like if we get to week one and Philip Lindsay makes this team, I actually wouldn't be surprised if he's inactive. Right. Just mm-hmm. like... Marlon like Mack. I mean, Marlon Mack only played in six games right. last year because yeah. of the special teams. All things being equal, like if you're living this football utopia where everybody's healthy for every game, uh, it wouldn't wouldn't shock me at all if Deion Jackson is active because of special teams over right. a guy like Philip Lindsay. Yeah, I think that you know when when you're talking about the third and fourth running backs, if you have those defined roles for them, then yeah, mm-hmm. the if the third guy is the the backup to Jonathan Taylor, then he's probably going to be inactive right on game days. 
All right, anyways, we're going to pivot here and go with our chat with NFL Senior Vice President of Player Operations, Tracy Perlman. We're talking about the annual player media boot camp. This is a really interesting conversation. Hope you all enjoy. Pleased to welcome to the Colts official podcast, Tracy Perlman, the NFL Senior Vice President of Player Operations, here to talk about the league's player media boot camp uh, and getting some former players ready to uh, explore careers in media. It's a really interesting subject, and we're really excited to have Tracy on. So thanks for joining us here. Thank you for having me. So the the first question is, when you get these players who come in, and, and they want, you know, like a Larry Fitzgerald, for example, and they come in and, and they say, hey, you know, I, I want to get some media training. Do they understand what goes into it, like the hours that have to go into it. It's not just you show up in front of a camera and you can just start talking about football. You, there, there's so much more that goes into it. Do players get that? I, I would say Larry Fitzgerald definitely does. <laughs> well, um, his dad's a journalist, Larry so was, yeah. <laughs> Larry was someone who was getting offers and said, I need to hone my craft. Uh-huh. So he wanted that kind of education and training. Um, I would say there were several guys who were there who said, there's as much studying here as there is to play football. I feel like this is almost the same schedule, except I'm just not suiting up. So it was really interesting to hear that feedback. And I think they walked in with a preconceived notion of what the role is and walked out with a real understanding of the time it takes to really be good at it, even though you know so much about football already. I'm going to go back-to-back questions for you, Tracy. First off, Nate Burleson, who is an absolute media star, not just in football broadcasting, but we've seen him cross over mainstream with CBS Morning Show. And in the article, he was very candid in saying that he struggled with the play-by-play, and that was an element that was a challenge for him. Do you see a commonality of one area or another being kind of the most challenging transition for most players, or does it vary just player-to-player that some are naturally very good on play-by-play some are very natural um in the analyst chair what is that commonality for the guys i would say it really varied i got to go into the different control rooms while they were doing their quote-unquote on-air testing um several struggled with radio i have to be honest you know you heard them say as you can see here and then it was stopped they can't see here um and then you know you had several struggling with the play-by-play because their language became the language that they know from a playbook versus being relatable to what an audience knows. So um, I think that it it varied player by player. What I found really interesting was several walked in saying, this doesn't interest me at all, and walked out saying, hey, wait a minute, I thought I wanted to be a studio analyst. I really like doing play-by-play. And we had some guys saying the podcast space I thought was not for me at all, and it really was for me. So I think you had several different players saying, hey, I came in here hoping to learn more about X, and I really figured out I like Y. Um, What I did hear from faculty this year was everyone was good at something. You know, in years past, they said they've had a ton of guys struggling, but I think the way it was set up with the education being so specific, players were really able to learn a lot and then go do it. Um, so we saw a lot of success. I thought it was it, it was great to sit in there and watch. 
It's so interesting, too, because that's much like I know the advice that we give when any of us are asked from college students, what do I need to do to get into sports broadcasting? And you want to tell them, do a little bit of everything. Be multifaceted. (laughs) Be able to do radio. Be able to do play-by-play. Be able to do a podcast. Be able to write. All of those things. So it's cool that that translates to the professionals who are doing this as well. The other question that I had was, are you seeing more players who are still playing, still with in their playing careers, being proactive in exploring that this might be something they want to do when their football career concludes, rather than guys waiting until it's over and then having to figure it out. So it's interesting. I run player engagement as part of player operations. So I, I hope that we're being really effective in saying to players, you really need to start thinking now about mm-hmm. what you want to do later. And not only are they hearing it from us, I also run the Legends community and people like Michael Robinson and Maurice Jones-Drew, who joined us as faculty, tell current players all the time, I started doing this while I was playing so that when I walked off the field, I had a direction on where my journey was going to go. So we've been working really hard with the heads of player engagement at the club to continue to say to players, Start focusing on what area do I like? And and if the NFL can offer you an education in that area or offer you an experience in that area, you should take it. So I would say this year we had more current players participating in the broadcast workshop than in the past. Um, And I do think that we are seeing current players start to really think about, okay, what is it that I want to do when I'm not playing anymore? And that doesn't have to be now. It can be in 10 years. But you're going to have the reps. You're going to know if you like it. And you're going to feel like there is a next part of your journey. Tracy, how long has the NFL, this this NFL broadcast workshop boot camp, how long has it been in existence? Uh, this is 15 years now. Um, it's, taken, it's had different iterations. Um, it went to the college levels, meaning that we were actually hosting it at Bowling Green. But with the opening of the new NFL media facility, we thought, number one, we have a great place to do it. Number two, we have experts who can run all of the, you know, the different, um, the different entities. So the, the workshop, the tech, all of the things that we needed to do could be run by professionals. And we have the partners who are experts. So having a Fred Gadelli there was amazing for players. So we started at NFL Films, we changed it to go to the college level with Bowling Green, and then we brought it to the NFL media location. I think the biggest thing that's changed is media is now 360. It Mm -hmm. used to be a broadcasting workshop. So you were essentially learning how to be in front of the camera. We wanted to make sure they learned about how to do a podcast, how to host Twitter spaces or an IG live, how to host something on YouTube, how to work in radio. So we wanted to make sure it was a full experience because now there are so many different ways you can work in the media. And I think just for a little bit of context, Fred Gadelli has been producing NBC's Sunday Night Football, which is a fantastic broadcast for a number of years now. So getting him in there, I'm sure, has a big impact on those (laughs) players. (laughs) Just from a, a... Yeah. Yeah. Just from the standpoint of, you know, and something that was mentioned in the New York Times article was trying to expand the pipeline of uh, black play-by-play announcers. And yeah. that's that's an area that 
do do you see the talents and the skills and the desire from some of these players to go that route and to not just be the you know the color analyst or the studio analyst but to actually call play by play you know i don't know if they know they want to do that Mm -hmm. that's the most interesting piece all players when they walked in there like i said to you i think several of them were like this this i don't think i'm gonna love this and then guys walked out and you know the the different faculty were like wait a minute richard sherman was amazing at that thomas davis did an amazing job there and they walked out and said wow that was fun so my hope is we can open a door to them that they may not know is open and teach them something that maybe they didn't even think they wanted to learn. Tracy, you mentioned being able to cross-platform things like maybe YouTube or Instagram Live, Facebook, all of the different platforms that there are for guys to utilize. And there are a number of former Colts who have had success post-football careers in broadcasting. Jeff Saturday and Matt Hasselbeck at ESPN, Darius Butler and Antoine Bethea have their podcast, which has really launched them. And then, of course, you have... Pat McAfee, who is pretty much putting on a clinic with how to redefine and create your own audience and platform and and own a space. And it's interesting that, you know, Pat has now been breaking news with with Aaron Rodgers coming on his podcast on his show every week. And then in the article, it cites Brandon Marshall and his I Am Athlete podcast. Has there ever been a more powerful time for these athletes to be able to cultivate their brands with their social media platforms and utilize what they already have to not necessarily rely solely on a network for an opportunity, but being able to utilize the space that they've already created to build build, build a bit of a resume tape. No, I think this is the time, and that's why we wanted to be in this space teaching this 360 approach because we are charged as the player operations group with elevating and amplifying players off the field. We're trying to tell them you can do it on your own. We can support you in doing it. We can use everything that we have, but you have assets in front of you that you can utilize. So now's definitely the time we wanna make sure we have what they need to support them in doing that. And that includes education as well as our own accounts. You probably have seen players take over our Instagram, players doing Twitter spaces with us, players doing stuff on our YouTube channels. And what they walked away from with the broadcast workshop was, you need reps, keep getting reps. And you can get reps by creating your own entity. Tracy, a little bit of a, a two-parter from me. Do, do you know a natural when you see it? You know, like this guy gets it. This guy's going to be, he's going to be something. And then I guess the second part of that is, who is the best former player to kind of kill it through the workshop? Um, so I would say I am not an expert, although I have been here for almost 30 years and watched a ton of football. Um, but it was very obvious to me somebody who I didn't know was going to be amazing at this was Jason Cabinda. Um, Detroit Lion, five years in the league. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. And the smile, as soon as he sat down in the studio, I was like, wow, I can't stop watching this guy. Um, I thought he was amazing. And, you know, Thomas Davis, who NFL Man of the Year, I've seen him do a ton of stuff. Man, he was serious about this. And, you know, after he did the radio, everybody was like, wait a minute, this guy is pretty amazing at at the radio piece. 
So I think that there were some guys when you watched them or you heard them or like you had to stop, stop what you were doing and really listen in. And you're on set with experts. So Steve Weish and Michael Robinson and MJD were all there. And the conversation was really easy with a lot of these guys. So I thought it was great. Um, Look, coming through the broadcast workshop, Nate Burleson, again, amazing. Michael Robinson, these guys have worked with us NFL media platforms for a long time. Dan Rolofsky, um, you know, I think when you see the tapes from their original workshop, you can see that there was something there, mm-hmm. but wow, have they grown and, and done amazing things, and I'm so proud to be a part of it. When when you have these players go through training, whether they're current players or maybe they're players at the back end of their careers or recently retired, how how do you notice them getting comfortable talking about maybe players they played with or played against or coaches they were coached by? Because something I think about, yeah, I was thinking about as we're listening to this conversation, is Mitchell Schwartz on the Athletic Football Show. Um, he he did a weekly segment and it was so informative because it felt very real and authentic, even though he's a year removed from playing in the NFL. And I feel like I learned a lot and came to trust his his opinions and his analysis on those things. How do you notice players kind of walking that line in some of these boot camps or whether they're just starting off in their media careers? It, it was really interesting because the question was asked several times by several players and legends, several different ways. And everyone answered it the same, be factual. Players know that you now have a job to do. Be factual. You know, it, as long as you're stating the truth, you can have an opinion. Um, don't ever go after someone's character. Um, I think it was really clear that everybody in the room wanted to ensure that the people that trust them now would still trust them when they were on air or on radio or whatever they were doing, because that was really important to all of those guys. And it was interesting to listen to. Michael Robinson and MJD talk about how sometimes they have to talk about something that might not be that pleasant for a player, but as long as they're reporting the fact, hey, this guy had a bad game, here's why, and they're not attacking his character or what he's doing off the field or his family, um, they're going to keep that trust. And you want to keep the trust of the players that you have because this is it's really important to your job, but it's so important to them personally because once you walk away from the game, that brotherhood is still there, and it's always going to be there. Tracy, I know we have a lot of aspiring media, whether it's you know broadcasters, writers, journalists in various forms who listen to the podcast, who we get questions from, being that we work for an NFL organization. What are some of the points of feedback, the strongest tips that are given to the guys who go through your boot camp that can also relate to anyone who is interested in this, who wants to pursue this profession? Number one was study. They, every single night that we were there, they were given a game that they were going to have to do. They needed to know the players, the numbers, the background, you know, a tidbit of information. Really educate yourself. Educate yourself on the game. Make sure you know the players and, and really make sure you know your information. That was number one for me. Number two for me was also you have to be relaxed. And it was very hard. Some of the guys, as soon as that light went on, you could see the nerves. And we had a coach there who was talking them through the things that they could do to actually relax. And then I thought 
the be factual was really the biggest point because you don't want your opinion to taint the facts. And you want to watch somebody who cares about the game and the players, even if they're reporting something that, you know, isn't that pleasant. So those were the three things that stood out for me. Um, And the other thing that stood out for me more than any of it was be yourself. And a lot of feedback was you may have a producer tell you they want you to do X, Y, and Z. Don't be yourself. And as long as it's not changing yourself, if they tell you you need to articulate better, if they tell you you need to dress a little different, whatever those things are, but never change who you are. And the example, and it's interesting because Rich Eisen was one of our um, faculty, and all of you know Rich Eisen. He's the host Mm -hmm. of Game Day Morning. He started Total Access. He was the first person ever on the NFL Network. He said, hey, Stuart Scott heard over and over again that he needed to do things different. And Stuart Scott is probably one of the most recognized ever sports center hosts. And he never did anything that changed who he was as a person. And that stood out with every single player who was in that room. Don't change who you are. Fascinating stuff. Tracy, last one from me. I guess this kind of piggybacks off something that, that JJ asked a while back ago, but how much of a demand or a need do you see from viewers, um, from uh, from the networks, uh, from from radio stations, uh, for more diverse broadcast booths, more diverse shows, um, studio shows, things like that. And then what, what kind of role does the NFL workshop, the, the broadcast boot camp, what kind of role does that play in that? So it's interesting. We also book all the player appearances for the league. So we're always getting requests for diverse candidates. We want to make sure that we're helping the networks keep, you know, a a diverse um, set of people on their airs. So we get a lot of questions. Hey, do you know if XYZ does this? Do you know if this player does that? And they're looking for diverse candidates. Everybody wants to make sure that their sets are relatable. And so we're working with them on that. The 24 who went through the workshop are very diverse and We've had, you know, networks reach out to us already to have some of these players work with them for draft. Yeah. So we're hoping that the 24 that we had as the students for this workshop are actually a set of players that networks, radio stations, you know, um, even some of the, the social accounts come to us and say, hey, I'd love to tap into Marlon Humphrey. I'd love to tap into Sebastian Joseph Day. So the idea for us was to ensure that we had a group of players that over the next entire season, all of our different partners could utilize throughout everything that they were doing. And it's a diverse set of players. And it's because that's who really wanted to be a part of it. And we wanted to make sure that they had the opportunity. Really interesting stuff, Tracy. Um, That's you know, we could we could sit here and talk about this for a while because this there there's so many different ways to think about this boot camp and just the the way that players look to continue keeping their foot in football after getting out of their playing careers. Um, but what you just said about getting getting guys like hey tapping into Marlon Humphrey in Baltimore, you know, and, and the skills yeah. that he has while they're still playing is a really interesting way to look at it too. I, I guess the last one for me is just. Is there a general type of player or personality trait 
that uh, the, these guys have that you generally see kind of flowing through these 15 years of doing these boot camps? They love the game of football. It's unbelievable to the point where you sit there and, and you don't want them to stop being a part of it. Gerald McCoy was amazing at this boot camp. And, and what came through for me with Gerald was, I love this game. All I want to do is, is be a part of it somehow. And I would say every player who has gone through this boot camp, I think players sometimes default to, oh, well, I need to stay in football. This is what I know. But everyone that you see on air, you know, and, and again, I'll default to, to Michael Robinson specifically, they love this game. Michael runs, you know, youth football in Virginia for over 6,000 kids. He also has a job on the NFL Network. He's also on the Legends Youth Advisory Committee. He'll do anything he can to pay it forward for football. And every guy that I have seen go through this boot camp that has been a part of this workshop, they love this game and they want to pay it forward and they want to be a part of it however they can. Final one for me, and when I talked about all of those former Colts and media, I neglected Peyton with Peyton's places, which, I mean, a huge (laughs) error on on my part. But I'm interested if there is a current active player in the league who you would love to see in broadcasting in some capacity, whether that's in a studio, in a booth, or on his own various streaming platform, kind of like what we have seen Peyton do or Peyton and Eli on the uh, Megacast. Cam Jordan. Bar none. Mm-hmm. Cam Jordan is funny. He loves the game. He loves to have fun. You know, anytime we have something to do, Cam raises his hand. He wants to be a part of everything. And the reason I love Cam is he was also a part of it as a kid because his father played. So mm-hmm. he actually has all of this history in the game on top of the amazing fact that he's one of the members of the 100 sack club i mean he's a current player there are only like nine of those guys he's an amazing player he loves the game he does an amazing job when he's on air um and he's just a ton of fun i don't know if you follow him on social media but watching him in the mardi gras parade go down the the street in a recliner was one of the funniest things i've ever seen and he's just an amazing person well, I certainly am following now because I wasn't before, but I want to see this. So, yes, follow immediately. It worked. Wouldn't we all want to go down Mardi Gras in a recliner? <laughs> Tracy, thank you so much for joining us. That's Tracy Perlman, the NFL Senior Vice President of Player Operations. We really appreciate the time. Thank you. All right, so piggybacking on that conversation, guys, who's your favorite recent former player turned NFL analyst? We got some good options here. Um, you know, Tony Romo kind of top of the list in my mind just in terms of the analysis that he does Mm -hmm. uh but you know some other guys who have done it drew Brees, greg olson ryan fitzpatrick's joining thursday night football richard sherman's done some stuff uh that's been good tony gonzalez obviously we have to talk about pat mcafee who's also top of the list in my book for the stuff he's done post playing career but who who's on your list who do you like lara start with you Uh, You know who I think is is heavily underrated, and I think that he is going to have a meteoric rise here when he gets into the right regular situation. He's made a few uh, kind of uh, supporting role appearances on a number of different broadcasts, but 
Darius Butler is a rising yeah. star to me as an analyst in football, as just in broadcasting in general, because he doesn't just talk football. He can talk about anything and everything, despite the fact, obviously, his career is great, you know, well-documented, his success within the NFL as a defensive player. But he can do just about anything. I, I like, would lead the charge for Darius Butler to get, like, a primary regular role on any like studio broadcast or game broadcast whatever it happens to be I think Darius Butler is is outstanding I think one of the things that I love about watching Tony Romo is that there is an authentic love and joy and excitement that comes out of his voice <laughs> like when he's in the booth like watch out Jim uh, yeah. watch out Jim <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, here it comes yeah it's oh, it's is it over the top it's a little over the top but it's just to me it makes it so enjoy- oh enjoy- here comes the screen Jim they're gonna do it over the top See, of the linebackers I love it I love it but I'm cheesy and you know I mean let's not I mean come on like that's I I, I cackled infamously in the background of a broadcast because I was having so much darn fun <laughs> listening to Maytay on a call one time so I just feel like Tony Romo is having so much fun uh, up there and let's be honest like Tony Romo's kind of set the bar for the way networks are now bidding for guys on their broadcast the the you know deal that Tom Brady has now signed uh, with Fox whenever he does retire from football or stops flip-flopping on whether or not he's retiring from football and actually hangs it up uh, you know that happens because Tony Romo's been so good and so coveted uh, sure. so uh, so I don't know I think Tony's probably one of my my favorites and then the other thing is guys with the Manning cast like let's be honest we all love Peyton right how do you not being this organization Eli Manning so carries good. that show. He's Eli so carries that show He's so good. because Peyton's He's like so stoic. Well, well, Peyton's so professional and really wants to like analyze and talk game. But like Eli's the like kid brother who's out there just like making jokes and having fun right. and taking shots at people. Like it, it, what I think above all that like in this conversation is so wonderful is that there are now more and more different avenues for people to thrive in media when you have things like podcasts mm-hmm. and game broadcasts and now you have the Manning cast, the simulcast, the the Pat McAfee style shows. Like it's not just you have to be YouTube, on one yeah. of the, you know, the three or four major networks that that carries NFL broadcasts to be someone who's regarded as a very talented, skilled broadcaster anymore. But yeah, gosh darn it, I'm rooting. I want Darius Butler to get like a role on like Good Morning Football or NFL Live. That'd be good. Or something like that. That'd be good. Um yeah, I, I just I think he's deserving. Like, dude works his butt off, and he's he's so freaking good. Mate, who's on your list? Nice guy too. I like Greg Olson. Yeah, I, I mean, he's I, really good. I, I think everybody in the list is obviously really good. You know, in terms of player turned broadcaster, but Olson, in short order, has really mastered the art of being succinct and to the point. You know, he speaks the modern game well. He knows the modern players. He relates to the players. But also, too, Larry, you can appreciate this. He understands TV. Yeah. That's so mm-hmm. key. You, you've got to be able to understand what you're supposed to be doing and what your role is. And he also understands, it appears, what everybody else around him is doing and what their roles are, right? Understanding the producer, the director, knowing what they need out of you each moment of the broadcast. That's a really hard thing to do. So he understands football, but he also understands TV and meshing the two, which I think is probably what, you know, as we talked to Tracy about, probably the toughest thing for some guys to to learn and be educated on. They can sit there and talk ball all day, 
but you've got time constraints and you've got windows and ads and sponsors and things you've got to take into consideration. And so when you can marry those two things, that's when I think you really got it figured out. And Greg Olson, what, two, three years away from playing? Mm-hmm. And he's already figured that out, and he's the number one guy on Fox for good reason. Do you think that part of the way he's been able to to master that so well is because as a tight end, like the versatility is critical to your success hey, in that position. There you position. go. There so you that's, go. Everything. Yeah. That's why you know that's part of how he had so you know such sustained success over you know so many seasons as a player was because of how you could utilize him within your offense in a number of different situations because of the nature of the tight end position. So mm-hmm. it makes maybe that. Uh, translation over to TV where it's like, okay, in this situation, I'm doing this. In this situation, I'm here. Maybe that goes back to just those, you know, those things that are ingrained in you from sure. from playing that position in particular. I'm very excited for the Thursday night football coverage lineup this year with Amazon taking it over. So we know Ryan Fitzpatrick's joining it. Um, he's a guy who seems like an absolute natural. I randomly saw Ryan Fitzpatrick. We were in in L.A. doing a shoot for um, for an up, some upcoming interviews that you'll see here coming up very soon ahead of the season. And uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's just walking down the street, and I'm like poking some of the people who are with us from here. I'm like, guys, yeah, I'm like, guys, it's Ryan Fitzpatrick. No. No, it's not just guy with and guys Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like we're in L.A. You know, like like it's not unusual. You know, it's not like we're in like I don't know, like. Louisville, Kentucky, and he's walking down. It's like L.A. Of course, a good choice. A good like, choice on what city to <laughs> use there. I was like, there. where could I say? Like, where's where's like random? Like, I, I was Easy. also just home. Kokomo. Just, no, but I was just back home in Louisville. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, just walking around. So, in, yeah, Southern Cal. So Ryan Fitzpatrick is rocking the beard. Is going to join it. Um, just announced today, Andrew Whitworth and Loki, one of my favorites, Akib Talib, are going to be a part of the uh, Thursday Night Football coverage. Akeem Talib is just different on it, and I kind of appreciate it. I know he's not for everyone. Um, I I appreciate how, I just again, just how different listening to a game or listening to his analysis is because like, that dude keeps it very real. <laughs> and uh, I, I appreciate that about him. And that's I think me. it's really interesting, though, like with Whitworth and with like Ryan Fitzpatrick. These guys are, have never had a rep. Never quote unquote taken a snap of television but they and they're gone getting to the primary broadcast role. Boot camp. Like boot, broadcast boot camp. Yeah, it's just it's really interesting to me. I'm like I would be very curious to know like what was the audition process like for this to know like because it's not something that everyone can do is just make that immediate leap like right. Greg well, Olson has it, done. Like so this is right. a gamble on some of these guys, it especially is. to see how they mesh together because in a studio show. Chemistry is key. That's why the good studio shows are so good. Like the Fox studio show is incredible. You know, CBS's pregame show, really, really strong because a lot of those guys have been together for a really long time. Yeah. And I think it it just depends on, you know, the personalities of the room in that. But um, some strong personalities in that one. A lot of strong personalities. But I mean, you're right, Larry. It doesn't always work out. I mean, there was a guy who I mentioned there. Not to you know throw it under the bus. Who got a big deal from a network, and it hasn't quite worked out. And now you might not see him a whole lot on that network on NFL coverage. So it is a a bit of a balancing act when you're trying to project. All right, is this guy? I mean, Tom Brady. Yeah. I mean, Tom Brady got like he's going to make a billion dollars as a broadcaster. Is he going to be good? We don't really know. Yeah. I don't there, know if Tom probably, Brady's ever been bad at anything. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to be good, but to yeah. what level? Right. Good I point. mean. Tom Brady, the last Montreal Expos draft pick to play professional sports still. There you go. 
what never round? Batted anything. Could what still round? Still probably hit a home run. I don't know. Probably fortieth. <laughs> but he could still like if you gave Tom Brady a baseball bat today and said but go hit a home run at Tropicana Field, he probably could. Here's the thing about Tom Brady is even if it's something he's not naturally good at, he has like it ingrained in him that oh, he'll, 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 he'll work to yeah. make it happen. Like yep, even if it's right. like doesn't come naturally, that's a guy who's going to pour himself into mastering what it yeah, takes this... to be good. And let's be honest, if he wants anyone to help coach him. He has everyone at his disposal. He like picks up a phone. Hey, you right, know, like exactly. Jim Nance, you want to come and sit yeah, and you know, and this, he can, like, this time play next some year, golf he's and, and at his house. Games together. Yeah, they're going to be hosting like a boot camp at his house. Yeah, you know, for like thirty six straight hours on rewatching cell phone footage of him trying to be the best broadcaster he can be. Got to watch the tape. Hey, let's go to the mailbag. Let's play the jingle. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me wanna wag my tail. When it comes, I wanna will. This week's mailbag question comes from at CNPrice4646 on Twitter. I'm expecting Matt Ryan to be a significant upgrade over Carson Wentz. What concerns me is that the Falcons traded him for only a third rounder and absorbed 40 plus million in dead cap money. Were the Falcons trust just trying to accommodate Ryan? Are my ex- high expectations warranted? I thought this was interesting because I've seen this question from a couple people and I've got it a couple times just from talking to friends about, you know, why did the Colts only get a only have to trade a third round pick for Matt Ryan. Why did why were the Falcons willing to absorb such a dead cap hit to get Matt Ryan to Indianapolis? And the these are very much unprecedented circumstances in terms of the the background of this trade with the Falcons pursuing Deshaun Watson, Matt Ryan starting to think about, hey, if if Watson comes to Atlanta, what does my career look like after that? Right getting you know his arms wrapped around maybe the Colts are a good option and the big part of this that we need to just mention is that Matt Ryan had a roster bonus due and he I believe it was due the Thursday before the Browns traded for Watson so Mm -hmm. before Watson made that decision and Matt Ryan said to the Falcons hey let's push it back to next week so when, once he did that, it gave the Falcons a little bit more time to tr- continue their pursuit of Deshaun Watson. And who that, does that, by the way, too? I mean, right. what a class move. A, yeah. Like 100%. 100% class move by Marianne. He could have held that over their head and been like, well, too bad. You owe me my money. Um, but so because he pushed it back to Monday, you can't keep indefinitely pushing it back. Like eventually that's going to become due. So because of that, Deshaun Watson – says all right I'm picking the Browns on Friday Matt Ryan then over that weekend I mean the Falcons basically have to trade him at that point it's over it's over and they have to trade him by Monday so there wasn't like there's this long negotiating window at that point in March a lot of teams had already made their move at quarterback one of the teams that didn't would have been the Carolina Panthers but you're probably not trading a 14-year veteran in your own division so at that point you kind of feel like the Falcons, okay, you only traded him for a third rounder, but they didn't have a ton of leverage. If you, like if Matt Ryan got traded two weeks earlier, he would have probably fetched sure. more draft compensation. But the way that it played out was a third rounder at that point was fair compensation. So you go ahead and you do it. Absorbing the, the dead cap money, I think you probably do that anyway. De- dead cap is this kind of... It's something that I think gets a little too much attention these days where you're talking about trading a guy or releasing a guy but still having his cap charge on your salary cap. Right. It's something a lot of teams have. 
a lot of teams have a lot of dead cap on their their ledgers. It's not as big of a issue as it was previously. So that's how I kind of feel about it. Mate, uh, on the expectations part of it, I, I don't think that the compensation for Matt Ryan and the way that it went down should change our expectations after seeing him during OTAs and minicamp. No, I mean, well, he's been so precise, so money with the football. I mean, yeah, he, he looks – I mean, he's got two years left in the contract. I mean, based on the way he played – and, again, I know it's minicamp. It's not live. There's no pads. I understand that. But he looks – he looked incredibly sharp. And when, when this didn't happen for the Falcons getting Deshaun Watson, it was so incredibly public – is like your girlfriend putting out on Twitter or Instagram all these social media Look uh, at all avenues. these matches I had on Hinge. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> uh, hey, I want to date the captain of the football team. I'm going after him. I'm going to see if I can get it. And then when that doesn't happen, when she can't land a date with the captain of the football team, you don't want to get back together with her. She doesn't want to get back together with you. So I think the Falcons did right by Matt Ryan, just as you said, you know, the week of, of that pursuit of Deshaun Watson, he did right by Atlanta. They sent him to a place where he wanted to go. They got what they could for him, and they did right by a guy that has poured his heart and soul into that franchise. Took him to two NFC title games. Took him to a Super Bowl. He won an MVP there with Atlanta. He was the face of the franchise. So they took care of him and his next destination while they continued to overhaul their roster. They got a third-round pick. Probably could have got more, but they did right by Matt Ryan because he's Matt Ryan. When you you have that kind of a split after 14 years and such a successful time, not every team owes it to the quarterback and not every team or the player. Not every team follows through on it. But kudos to the Falcons for mm -hmm. respecting where Matt Ryan wanted to go. Like Matt Ryan had earned the right to say, "I really want to go to Indianapolis," by the the years that he put in for that franchise and the impact he had on that franchise and I mean and just the the public stuff he went through those two weeks of March yep I, really, I mean that that was a hard thing that it is, really was that's not an easy thing to go through hey let's get to the random thought of the week all right we're going right after it it's uh fourth of July coming up next week guys or I should say a Monday but fourth of July weekend on the near horizon Lair, I love the fourth of July it's my favorite holiday because it's hot. You're outside. You can do everything You're on the Fourth of July. Favorite holiday. Favorite holiday. Beyond by far. Thanksgiving, by beyond far. Christmas, by beyond far. Super Bowl Sunday, which I consider a national holiday. Leaps and bounds. Wow. My favorite holiday. You That's can do everything. Old strategy, a, cotton. You can be out there. You can swim. I know. You know. Gifts are not exchanged. There's. You know, it's you don't get together typically with your extended family, but I love it because it's just the all-American day. You can swim, boat, grill. You're outside listening to music. You're playing games. You got baseball. You got fireworks. You're staying up till eleven o'clock at night around the fire pit. So staying. The wait. <laughs> what? I'm sorry. Staying up until eleven o'clock, like. That's that's like oh, really coach, that's coach, really going you, wild. You like, kidding me? Oh, buck wild. We're set up till Larry, eleven. Uh, JJ, you want to back me up here? I actually do want to back me. Say up eleven o'clock is a late night. You kidding me? Well, eleven o'clock. I went to bed at midnight last night. It was a Monday, kids. That was a Monday. Larry, you require like four hours of sleep. It's You're probably true. up at five o'clock. Come now. over to my house for ten minutes and then we'll talk. <laughs> Holy my! I love 
how many days? Like, I mean, it's great. You stay up until, until 11, 11 o'clock at night. The, 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 way, the way you said that, though, Woo! probably. Huh? You got, Mayte, you got a <laughs> lot just of. Get served? Yup. From the dads, and you got a lot of, ugh, from people. All like, these millennials are yeah, throwing these, tomatoes yeah. at their Bluetooth <laughs> speakers right now. I get it. Trust me. I'm in a bucket. We're okay, not in the so same wait, bucket. What does, can, you, can you just tell everyone, share with everyone what your 4th of July entails? Like, kind of just oh, go, I just yeah. did. Well, I just, I'm outside yeah. from. What? Ma- You're just like barefoot with your Fred Flintstone feet out there <laughs> flopping around like Monroe? Like. Hey, I like my feet. I got, I take care of my feet. All right. Your feet are everything. When your feet hurt, your whole body hurts. Uh, no, You're I mean more geriatric as this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just parked further away from the curb. How about it? Uh, no, I just I just love the Fourth of July. So, Larry, I, I want to know. I want to know. Do you like fireworks? And if so, what's the best fireworks show that you've ever okay, seen? Okay, I really do love the Fourth of July because I am one who I go all in on a theme. Like, I, so I really like we have a little red, red, white, and blue paraphernalia. Like, I I actually do um, several like wardrobe changes on the Fourth of July. We have a we go to a friend's house. See, there you go. Our, yeah, our best friends who who live out at Geist host the party of the year Fourth of July. So we always go out there and we stay the night and and it's fantastic. We stay up later than eleven, Mayte. If you can only believe that. Well, if, um, I, if I get on my calendar far yeah, enough in advance, yeah. I can plan for it. <laughs> um, fireworks, I'm fine with. Like, yeah, sure. Like, it's it's fine. Um. The best fireworks show, I would think I'm probably obligated to say, because I grew up in southern Indiana, Louisville area, there is Thunder Over Louisville, which for many, many years was known as the world's largest fireworks display. It kicks off derby season in Kentuckiana, and it is massive. I mean, the the entirety of the, mm-hmm. you know... Um, of the border there on the Kentucky side and the Indiana side, everywhere there along the Ohio River. Yeah. I mean, people start setting up their chairs hours and hours and hours ahead of time. I've been so, down there for that. Yeah. Uh, so I actually witnessed the very first one, like as a child. And I'm not sure that, you know, anything kind of surpasses that when you're so little and this is all hyped up and then that's kind of the big first fireworks display that you see. So that was probably the best one. But I will say something I love. Uh, if you If people are in town on the 4th of July... The Indianapolis Indians do an outstanding yes, they job. Do. They play they a do. game on Fourth of July, and they do fireworks at the end of the night. Um, it's such a wonderful family event. You can sit on the lawn if you want to. For many years, when I worked at Fox Fifty Nine, we would do a live show out there on the Fourth of July, and I would do some live hits out there, and it was always a blast. So, if anyone is in town and doesn't have plans, or you're someone who doesn't have kind of a Fourth of July tradition, that's a great one to uh, to take advantage of. Mate, you were actually out doing a little. Uh, do a little baseball last week, weren't I was, you? And they had fireworks. Yeah, they Colts did. Bat last they're, week. They're fantastic, absolutely. Um, going along with that, the best baseball fireworks I ever saw, I was uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma in the middle of July about six, seven years ago at a Tulsa Drillers game, double-A team. Don't ask me who they're an affiliate of. But they had fireworks after the game. And I think they were also related to, like, the city. The city was putting them on as well. So after the game was over, they turned the lights off like you typically see at a, at a Major League Baseball game or a Minor League Baseball game. Fantastic show. Probably 25 minutes, all synced to music, of course. The best overall fireworks show I ever saw or have ever been to, probably no surprise, Disney World. Oh, that's Disney a good World. one. Yeah, that's right. That's tough to top. Yeah. They project the images on the castle there in the Magic Kingdom. And, you know, just if you're a little kid, hell, if you're a 36-year-old big kid like me, it was phenomenal. 
huge, huge into the night, into the trip with the fireworks show. Did at, you have at to Disney take a World. five hour energy to stay up for it? Because you have to wait until it gets dark I, down there. So you know, it's probably it, about it nine back, thirty. It was back you know? in March. <laughs> back in March, and it also gets darker there on the East Coast, Lara. So it was it was about nine. It was it was within the oh threshold boy. of the bedtime. Oh boy. How about you, JJ? To quote Kanye West, fireworks on Lake Michigan. Yeah? That's it. I mean, Chicago. Chicago's 4th of July fireworks show is outstanding. Sure. It's really cool. Um, always super crowded, but um, that's, a, that's a really cool thing I got to do. I used to live right by the lake, so you could kind of just walk over to the lake, go catch some fireworks, walk on back to your house. It was great. It was great. It was a, a And no good, traffic. Do yeah, a lot of people, I would assume a lot of people go out on boats probably on yeah. that night. Mm-hmm. You know, that whole would, area. Yeah. Like, I did a boat for the Air and Water show in Chicago once. Oh, that was yeah. awesome. Oh, that would that be That was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, you talk about American pride right there. That was awesome. <laughs> All in on that. You got fighter jets going around. America! Like, oh, this is great. Um, yeah, that'd probably be mine. Not surprising again, anyone who knows me. Hey, speaking of Americana, guys. The Jim Irsay Collection is coming to Indianapolis. The collection's making a stop at Lucas Oil Stadium September 9th and 10th. The event will be open to the public, and while tickets are free, advanced registration will be required to attend. You can follow the Jim Irsay Collection on Facebook and Twitter for additional details as the event gets closer. I mean, you talk about I'm there. I'll be there. September 9th, I'm going to be there. I cannot wait. To see that stuff. And I had a chance to see the collection at a previous stop earlier this mm-hmm. summer, and it is yeah. incredible. It is so worth your time. I'm going to try to maybe get my dad up here in yeah. town because oh, I think yeah. he would I really am, enjoy walking around and checking totally. out everything. I am pumped. About and how this awesome one. is it too that this is something that you could easily charge admission for? But it's it's open to the public. Yeah. It's it's free. It's something that you know no one has access to be able to see these type of yeah. things and, and enjoy this type of history in this collection. So very that's great. very cool that. Uh, Jim say the owner and CEO of the of the Colts, is kind of sharing all this stuff with everyone and for free. So be sure to, again, follow the Jim say collection on Facebook and Twitter for additional details. As we get closer to the event, as we get closer to the end of the week and 4th of July weekend, on Friday, the last word will bust out the burning questions on the defensive line. You guys had a chat with DeForest Buckner that you can listen to that on well as well. On Wednesday, the Colts Reunion Podcast will have a sit-down with Colts Ring of Honor member Dwight Freeney. That's with Jeffrey Gorman and Bill Brooks. Again, next week, we are off for the 4th of July. The podcast, the official Colts podcast, will be back on July 12th. We'll have a sit-down with Quiddy Pay, talking about his trip to Africa for the NFL's involvement in an NFL Africa event. They're really cool stuff. Really neat that Quiddy got to go to his home continent for the first time since... Uh, his family had to flee, uh, I believe it was Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. Liberia? Li- well, it was Liberia through Guinea through, I think, Sierra Leone, then on to Rhode Island when he was, you know, just a little infant. Um, so that's going to be a really interesting interview. Be sure to tune in for that. Anyways, thank you so much for listening to us here on the official Colts podcast presented by WinBet. I'm JJ Stankovitz, Format Taylor, and Lara Overton. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you next time.